If you'll please find your seats and turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. In our journey through 1 Peter, we're going to stop at one verse, one incredibly practical verse, 1 Peter 3 verse 17. But if this morning you're trying to figure out what's up with Jeff's tan, I mean, the guys really like tan from here on down and kind of white up top. Uh, I've had the privilege of coaching the 10-year-old all-star team in Maitland, and uh, we won our districts. We went 7-0. We're in the sectionals. And can you believe that Maitland Little League, or actually Little League International, they scheduled the game on Sunday at 11. And so, big sectional game. I, I, I wrote letters. I protested. I prayed. And they moved it to 1.30. And so, good news is we'll be out of here on time today. All right? And so... But there's another game that was at 11 that the 12-year-olds played that Sid Cash is coaching. Now, he's an elder in our church, and you may want to ask him how he didn't move his game, and I got my game moved. But uh, hopefully Sid's faring well even now, that heathen dog. (laughs) As we make our way through 1 Peter, Peter is telling us that we got to live for Christ no matter what the cost. And really, there's a blessing in suffering. And I love the reality that we're not just hearing from one who's telling us how to live, even when it hurts, that didn't hurt himself. Because Peter knew what it meant to suffer for the cause of Christ. He knew the pain of denying Christ. And he also experienced the pain of literally being beaten for following Christ. And this morning, God's Word through the pen of Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to exhort us to keep doing the right thing, even when it hurts. Listen to God's Word. This is God's holy and errant Word, looking at 1 Peter 3, verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than doing what is wrong. Let us pray together. Father God... This one verse gives us such a challenge. And Father, each of us strives to have enjoyment and joy in a a life that's uh, filled with happiness and steers clear of suffering. And yet, God, Your Word for us this morning says that it might be Your will for us to suffer. God, how do we understand this? Only if you teach us. And so God, would you come with your Holy Spirit and would you speak through a broken sinner who desperately needs to hear the message he's about to preach. And God, would you open up our ears to hear your voice, to hear your calling, to hear your truth. God, would you open up our minds to understand what you have for us this morning Father, would you soften our hearts, break them if you must, so that we can apply this to our lives. Father, would you energize our feet so that we will walk in the truth of this passage and in your word for your glory through the power of your spirit. Father, we pray that you and you alone receive glory. We receive great joy and great challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Katie and I faced one of the most difficult decisions that we have had to face as a couple in our 19 years of marriage. 
we had the decision to decide, do we put our 17-year-old dog, Butch, to sleep? We had that dog 17 out of 19 years of our marriage, and we've never known having children without Butch. He's been a constant. A constant in the Jake's household for the last 17 years. But the time came. And the call came to the vet, a family friend, Jim Califf. And he came and he said, I concur. It's really the most merciful thing you could do. That Butch wouldn't suffer any longer. And yet, what a tough decision. You know, decision making is always difficult. But when it's wrapped with that much emotions... When it's wrapped with that much suffering on both sides, it's really difficult to think clearly. It it clouds your thinking. And it clouds your decision-making process. And Katie and I, before we could do it, we had to be convinced that this was the best way. This morning's text tells us that we are to do the right thing even when it hurts That it's better to do the right thing and suffer for it than to do the wrong thing or commit evil in the easy way out. How in the world can we do this? I mean, how in the world can we, when we're called by God, to do the right thing even when it hurts? We have to be convinced. We have to be convinced that God's way is best. It begins there. It begins with us as God's children, knowing that we've been redeemed through the work of Christ, surrendering our lives to Him, and acknowledging His Lordship over all things, and being convinced that God's way is best. We see dimly. Even as Christians, we don't see all that we are supposed to see. And life seems to offer us many decisions. We basically, our lives are, are making several series of decisions of which way to go, how to live our lives, what decisions to make, where do we live, what jobs do we have, who do we marry, how do we raise our children, how do we spend our money, how do we invest our money, where do we go on vacation, how do we coach Little League Baseball. Our decisions, our life is shaped by the decisions we make. And as sinful people, even having been washed in the blood of Christ, we still see dimly. And we often come to the fork in the road and we don't know which way to go. For your pastor, I take the advice of Yogi Berra. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. It served me well for quite some time. But as Christians... We really shouldn't be asking which way is best in life. We should be asking this question, which way honors Christ most? We really should be asking which way would Jesus have me go? Now a few years ago, I know there was that rage and everybody wore that bracelet, the WWJD and what was Jesus do? And this kind of has that thought. We want to ask the question, what would Jesus do? But truly, we're not Jesus. We're just followers of Jesus. So the question we really want to ask is, what would Jesus have me to do? How am I to live my life first and foremost to bring Him pleasure and glory because God created us for Himself first and foremost. 
And the amazing thing about God and the beauty about God is when we ask the question, what will bring God the most favor? What will bring God the most fame? What will advance Christ's kingdom the most? You know what is beautiful about that? It brings us the most life. It brings us the most happiness. In life, I always am looking for the easiest way, the fastest way. You like me? I mean, you go to the checkout line and you're spying them out. Which way is the fastest way to go? And then uh, if you pick the wrong one, I'm upset. If I'm driving and I pick the wrong lane, I, I start yelling and get upset. Can't say, what's wrong? I'm in the wrong lane. So I'll say, who cares? Well, it's important. I want to get there three milliseconds faster. Well, in life, really, we often are looking for the shortcut, aren't we? We're looking for the easiest way. We're looking for the quickest way. And God said, That's not, it should be, that should not be our mindset. We should be looking for His way. But we have to be convinced, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to live our lives convinced that being in God's way is best. And how do we do that? Well, we constantly need to be using the compass of Christ. We, in a sense, want to be trailblazers. In a sense, want to go out there and, and blaze our own trail for our own glory. But as we become Christians, God says, now I'm giving you the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is a deposit. This is a gift. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, is going to indwell us to point us continually as a compass continually points north. The Holy Spirit continually points us to Christ. And that is our calling. Our calling in our life is to constantly be using the compass of Christ. Constantly be pointing toward him and his glory. And following in His example. You see, God is not calling us to be trailblazers. God is not calling us to live a life of exploration. Listen, we're to live a life of imitation. We're to live a life of imitating Christ. A few weeks ago, we looked at 1 Peter 2, verse 21. It says this, For you have been called for this very purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in His footsteps. Christian, our call is not as to be trailblazers, blazing our own new path, trying to figure out our own way home. The only way home has been found to us through God's own Son. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we find our way, we find our truth, we find life in Him and Him alone. And it's being convinced that Christ needs to be the compass in all of our lives. We need to not only be constantly using Christ as the compass of our lives, we constantly need to be referring to the map. The map is God's very own Word. It's a blueprint. God has given us His Word to teach us all that we need to know about God and all that we need to know about Uh, getting to Him and living a life for Him. I mean, how crazy for us to set out on this journey of life that is so filled with trials and temptations, so filled with turns that are so unexpected, to go on this journey alone and to go on this journey without a map. But God, because He loves us, He's given us His Word. It says it's a holy and active Word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will never lead us astray. It will never lead us wrong. I know it's difficult sometimes. I mean, every year I read through it, and there's times I think, man, that's a really interesting passage. But it's God's word for us to lead us home. And we need to be people of the word. We need to be people who are constantly looking back at the map and say, God, which way would you be ha- having us to go? 
The book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 14, 12. It says, There is a way that might seem right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And left on our own, our own devices, no matter how wise we think we are, no matter how many good decisions we think we can make, according to God's Word, left on our own, we will choose the wrong path. Usually we'll choose that path because it looks like the, the, le- the path of least resistance, the path of our own glory. But God says, no, you need to continue to refer to my map, my word, and I'll teach you where to go. Not only that, we have to be convinced that God's way is best. We also, also need to constantly be traveling with a team of others. There's good news, Orangewood. Our way home is not a solo track. God's way home is a family journey. Our family journey is always easy. Anybody had a family vacation yet this summer? Because of a loss yesterday, I might be able to go on vacation uh, tomorrow, and I'll be loading my family of six uh, into our minivan, uh, stuffing enough stuff in our van that we'll have to actually have something on top of our van. We'll be the Griswolds heading up 95 here tomorrow. But it's not always easy to travel with a family because you know what? I mean, we got to stop. we got to slow down. I mean, someone's got to go to the bathroom. And it's just a lot longer with a family. It really sometimes just slows you up. And for a dad who's on, like, vacation mode, you know us vacation mode dads? Get there as fast as you can if it kills you because you're on vacation. you got to relax. Shut up, kids. We're going really fast. We're making good time. Can you hold it a little longer? I mean, how selfish would it be on this family track, track home to say it's all about me. We got, you know, what about if we stopped at a truck stop and I said, you know what, they're just taking way too much time. I'm going to leave them. <laughs> I'm out of here. I mean, I waited long enough, making good time. Allie should be able to hitchhike her way up. <laughs> See, the way home is a community track. And sometimes we've got to slow down because others are hurting. And sometimes we've got to slow down and put our arms around one another and weep with one another and just remind one another that we're, we're not on this solo journey, that we're in this thing together and we can't leave any man or woman or child behind. We've got to, first of all, this is it, Orange, we just, it's, it's this. We've got to live our lives being convinced that God's way is best. It makes things simple. But every day it's a decision. Am I going to follow the Lord? Or am I going to follow my own instincts? Am I going to follow my own way? But when we surrender our lives to His, we realize He'll lead us home. We also are called to do the right thing even when it hurts. I love the reality because it says this, For it is better, it is a better thing to choose, if God so will it to be so, that you shall suffer for doing the right thing. One thing I've been trying to hammer with you all is this, is just because you do the right thing, it does not mean you're not going to suffer. I wish I could tell you that. And, you know, the truth is, is there's some preachers that that are making a good living, and sometimes even on TV, that will say, if you do the right thing, you won't suffer. If you do the right thing, your life's going to be really ducky. But that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says clearly that it might be God's will for you to do the right thing and still experience loss and still experience pain. Well, how in the world... Can we live that way? we got to realize that God's will includes suffering. Listen, look into the face of His Son, Jesus. Did God's will for us to be saved include suffering? No one suffered like the man of sorrows. But here's what we got to realize. This is very important. Listen to this, Orangewood. God's will 
can never be against His nature. Let me say it again. God's will can never be against His nature. He will never desire something that He is not a part of or that He can't approve of. You see, God is holy. God is without sin. God is perfect. God is immutable. A big word that means unchangeable. And we know this, that God will never desire anything in His will that is against His character. And that's good news because He's a loving Father. It's good news because He is a merciful God. And He can never desire anything for us contrary to who He is. I've heard it said of a married person, it's God's will that I should be happy. And I just can't be happy in this marriage. Therefore, it's God's will for me to be divorced. Okay, i got a couple words for that. Bunk. Bull. Balderdash. Malarkey. You see, God's, God's word doesn't say, it's my will for you to be just ridiculously happy. It's all about you, and I'm just going to make life fit for you. And if you don't like it, just let it go. God's saying to us, you are mine, and you were bought with a price, and I love you, and you're going to find life in following me. You may suffer, but you can't say something contrary to my character that's my will. I hear it all the time. And I hear it in my own mind, trying to justify my own behavior. God wants me to have this, therefore, it's okay. As if all of a sudden, God can stop being holy, kind of, okay, Jeff, go ahead that way. I'm not really looking, and I'm still going to bless it. Let me tell you, God can't will anything against his nature. Does that make sense? So as we live our lives, we think, I wonder if it's God's will for me to do this. And then what you're doing is contrary to his nature. I promise you this. I promise you it's not God's will. It may feel right, look right, and everything else, but it is not God's will. God's will for us is to do the right thing. Listen, no matter what the cost, God always knows the right thing. He always knows it. God always knows the right thing. We don't. We may be faced with a decision and then what we might be heading into is a storm when doing the right thing and following Christ. It may cost us our jobs. It may cost us our health. It may cost us our bank account. It may cost us our retirement. But he says, trust me in this. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And the riches you have in Christ far surpass anything this world has. Trust me. Do the right thing even when it hurts. But we see so dimly, Christian. We don't know often what the right thing is. We need to continually be on our knees begging the Father, show us. Why? Let me, let me give you a couple of whys. Why do we choose the right thing and suffer? Why should we do it? I have three things for us. One is this. Because God told us, we looked at it very clearly last week, that if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, it came out of Jesus' own mouth at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 10. In just last week, we saw in verse 15, if we suffer for righteousness, guess what, Christian? Listen, we're blessed. There's a blessing. God has a blessing for His people that can only be found in suffering. I don't know why, but it's true. And you come up alongside someone who's suffering and say, how has Jesus been to you? And they say, I have never been so blessed. And you're baffled. Because sometimes in the fire you realize that you see Jesus the most clearly. Secondly, it's the greatest witness to the world who doesn't think this way. 
I mean, by nature, we are children of wrath. And by nature, we're, we're those who will run from God. By nature, we want the easy life. By nature, we want to do, do away with suffering. And the world looks into our face and they see us suffering. And they see us still having a living hope. They say, tell me about your hope. Tell me about your God. How can you do the right thing and suffer? And still have joy. Only through God. And thirdly, as we choose to do the right thing in suffering, there's a fellowship with Jesus that we can never have any other way. I mean, Philippians 2.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know this Savior with everything in my being. I want to know Him and live for Him. And I want to share in His sufferings. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. You know, there's a fellowship that comes with walking with Jesus that we will never have apart from suffering. What is this practically mean to us let's start off in business deals it means that in our business world we need to live and lead with a christ-like integrity your pastor wasn't always a pastor i mean i started off in the business world and i remember what it was like at the beginning of the month to wake up and have a quota that i had to meet i remember what it was like to try to compete with those around me i remember what it was like to try to make my numbers I remember what it was like to try to crawl up and, and get to the top. And I remember the temptation saying, you know what, I, I earned to pad this uh, uh, expense account. I've earned it. I've worked really hard, and, and they really aren't doing me justice. And so it's really okay. And I remember those thoughts in my mind. And I remember how tempting it was to, to do anything I could to get above and to get ahead. Even it meant some things that were around the bend. And it came to a point. We just got to say, I got to trust in God. I got to trust. I remember this. I remember when I had a territory for paychecks. I said, God, this is your territory, not mine. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to try to do the right thing and and let the chips fall where they may and and receive your blessing instead of the world's blessing. In the business world, it's making sure that you are not fudging your numbers, stealing accounts, padding your expense account, And you can justify it saying, well, they should be treating me this way. They should be doing this. Let me tell you, it's bogus. you got to do the right thing. And and, and even if if someone is is doing the wrong thing, and I remember thinking they're they're taking money from my family, but do the right thing and trust God. It comes to that. It comes to surrendering to God. I believe you, God. I believe that even if I have to suffer, I will receive your blessing, and you know what I'm going through. What about in school, for those of you who are students? You know, one of the things that I want to challenge you with, that it's better to fail on a test than to cheat on a test. And maybe you say, I didn't have a chance to prepare. I didn't have a chance to get where I needed to get with my studying. And I really got to pass this class. And therefore, I am going to cheat to get ahead. God can never bless that. Your teachers may not know. You may get a better grade. But your Father in Heaven knows. Suffering and doing the right thing. That is what God has called us to do. What about in home? It means honoring Christ above your own need for happiness. And listen, those two aren't mutually exclusive. But it starts with you, dads. It starts with you in the home and leading with the example. Making sure that you are honoring Christ, even if your spouse isn't responding the way that you think she should. Children, it's honoring your father and mother. I mean, it's throughout Scripture. It's a first commandment with a promise. And trusting, even if you don't like them, even if you think they're wrong, that is your call. It's honoring Christ in the home. In Orangewood, what about as a church? 
We must do the right thing, no matter how unpopular it is. Let me tell you, right now there's churches that are embroiled in controversy because there are those who are saying, we no longer are going to adhere to this. We're going to do our own deal. This is archaic. This is not really relevant to our culture. And they're stepping aside saying, we're going to do some things contrary to God's word. May it never be for us, Orangewood. And we realize that this is God's holy and errant word. And as a church, we have to follow it even when it hurts. Even when it makes us look like fools. Even when it makes us look like that we have to, to, to restore our members. And we have to do things that, that, that aren't comfortable. This is the bride of Christ. We've got to stand up for her and do the right thing. Orangewood, God has called us to honor him at all times. We put our dog Butch down to end his suffering. And it was a tearful ending. Putting an end to what really had become a pretty pitiful life. But it's Christ our Savior who was willing to surrender His life to put an end to our sin and suffering and an end to our misery. Isn't that good news? Christ died to put an end to our pitiful lives so that we can live and have life abundantly. He suffered so that we can be brought home. He suffered so that we can have life. And now He calls us and says, listen, I've, I've, I've suffered to heal you. I've made the way home. The way home will con- include some Suffering along the way, but I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And how do we make our way home? He must be our vision. He must be our compass. He must be our Savior. He must be our friend guiding us home. Helping us choose the right thing, even when it hurts. Let us pray. And Father God, may we be a people who are bold for Christ. Who will live for you even when it hurts. God, I confess, I want to live my life in the gray. I don't want to be in the black and white. And God, I confess, I can justify so much of my behavior and I could spin it in a way that it looks holy and righteous, but you know the truth. God, I pray for this church and this denomination that, God, that we would have a passion to do the right thing, even if it hurts, knowing that we are blessed knowing that your kingdom will be advanced, and knowing that we'll have a fellowship with you unlike any other. O lead on, O King Eternal, be thou our vision, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.